The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So I want to do something a little fun this morning as we begin. I brought uh, some show and tell with me. Because uh, we're talking this morning about roles. And one of the things that uh, we often say when we talk about roles is that we wear many different hats. Have you ever, ever heard that expression before? We wear different hats. And so I thought I would, as I walked through some of the roles that I play, I'd put on a few different hats for you. Yeehaw! So, um... The first hat, this is actually Austin's hat, so I thought I would wear this one first because this is my daddy hat for the morning. When I wake up in the morning, usually the first thing that I hear is, Daddy, 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 I have to pee. (laughs) And so I'm woken up to being uh, a daddy and all that that comes with. Um, But then quickly, you know, as Tracy and I get out of bed in the morning, I put on a different hat. And I watch the highlights of the night before of the—no, I'm just kidding. I, I wear my husband hat as Tracy and I talk about the day ahead of us and what's, what's going on um, for us. After that, I start to pack my bag, and I put on—and I get on my bike, and I put on my hat— as a neighbor, right, as I roll out of the driveway on my bike, I'm, I see the houses of, of uh, the people that I live close to. And then as I bike down the mountain, I see the cityscape. And I'm reminded that I also play a role as a, as a Hamiltonian, as a Canadian. Then I get off my bike, I park it at the church office, and I walk upstairs and I step into my office. And then I put on my hat as pastor of this congregation. And, and I could go on. I have a few more, but I won't. You get the picture. We all wear lots of different hats. What about you? What are some of the roles that you play in your life? You know, I think often we're tempted to think right off the bat, I don't have that many roles. And then we start to think about it. And you may have a role as a, a pet owner, a babysitter, a student, a grandparent, a volunteer, A girlfriend, a friend, a boss, a leader, a board member, an elder or deacon, a Hamiltonian, a teammate, could go on. We all have many, many different roles, and we often will interchange them at different points throughout the day, almost intuitively without even realizing it. Roles are just a part of life, but roles can also be complicated and tricky. Some roles leave us feeling lost. How do I play this role well? Roles come with struggle. Some roles only remain a dream in our lives. They are unfulfilled. Many of us think of the roles that we wish we had. Maybe it was a promotion at work. Maybe it's a role of of a husband or a wife or a parent or a grandparent. There are also roles that we have that were, for whatever reason, have been lost in our lives. Roles that have been ripped out of our hands before we were ready to give them up. Maybe a role as a parent. 
role as a sibling, role as an employee. There are also roles that we feel trapped in, stuck. Roles that we wish we could get out of or knew how to get out of. I could go on with this list as well. You know, roles can be difficult. And none of us want them to be difficult. We want us to be able to live into our roles well. How do we do that? Well, what if I told you that all of what helps is when all of our, we see that all of our roles flow out of one role. I think that's what Paul is getting at in this passage. What if there's one hat that we wear or don't wear that actually makes it or breaks it for us? No matter what our struggle with roles is. Of course, I think this is what Paul's getting at in, in Romans. And it sounds simple, but how do we actually do this? I think to unpack what Paul's talking about in Romans, as we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, that we do this in three different ways. With our hands open to what God asks of us, to our minds open to the places where we stray, and our hearts open to Jesus every day. Our hands open, our minds open, and our hearts open. So let's look at these three things this morning. First, our hands. So I want you to put your hands out like this. I don't care if you're here or online. Hold your hands out in front of you. Because one of the words that jumps out to us on the page, in Paul's words, is he says, in view of God's mercy, to offer. You know, when you offer something to someone, we do it with open arms. Keep them out. I don't want to just put, don't put them down. Keep them out. You do them with open arms, open hands, right? Have you ever noticed when a person offers something, they, they always do, here you go, right? I want you to have this. Okay, now you can put them down. All of our roles are opportunities for, uh, to offer ourselves to the world. Alistair Stern puts it like this. He says, roles are like a mosaic that reveals Christ in you and through you for the sake of others. It's always an outward focus. A role is an open hand to offer ourselves to Christ for the sake of others. Whatever that is, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a volunteer, as a teammate, whatever role, whatever hat you're wearing is an opportunity for you to offer yourself to the world in a unique way. But how does this actually work? What does this look like? Well, in your role as a grandparent, you don't offer yourself to yourself. It's not self-serving. It's you offer yourself to your grandchildren. If you're a teammate, like, nobody wants to be in a team with somebody who's just thinking about themselves. You're a teammate. You offer yourself to the team. That's what it means to be in a role in, that offers itself. Paul, in this passage, is, he doesn't just tell us to offer ourselves, though. He tells us to offer what? Our bodies. Paul is using sacrificial language here. And remember, he's speaking in this letter to the Romans. He's speaking to a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles. But I can guarantee you that all of them would be familiar with sacrifices. We are unfamiliar with it. They are familiar. And so Paul's use of the Greek words here would have been very significant to his original audience. And the word that he uses that's translated bodies in our Bibles is a specific word that doesn't mean the individual parts. 
It means the whole thing. It's the Greek word soma. It's the, Greek, it's the word that we get our biology term somatic cell from, which is a, a catchword, I, I think, for all the different cells in our bodies. It's kind of a, a, it's a holistic understanding of a cell. Now, this is important for Paul because in Greek culture, they actually, they lived with a dualistic view, which means they separated the body and the spirit. The physical body and the person's spirit were separate and distinct things. But Paul is challenging that here, and he's saying, no, 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 no. No, you are called to offer your whole spirit and body, your whole being in this world. All of our gifts, all of our talents, all of our personalities, what we've been talking about so far in this series, all of our values, all of these things are part of who God has made us to be and ways that we offer ourselves to the world through our roles. Now imagine for a moment how beautiful this would be if we actually did this. If we actually lived out our roles in this way. No selfish behavior, no manipulation, no codependency. See, Paul is telling us here, the Bible is teaching a radical selflessness in the way that we offer ourselves to the world through our various hats. Now, when I hear this, I don't know about you, but I feel very conflicted. Because it is far easier and far more convenient to bend my roles to serve Hayden. I'm quite, if I'm quite honest, I control and manipulate more roles to serve myself than I'd like to admit. And upon reflecting on this this week, I think this actually happens to all of us. I think our bend is to turn roles to serve us rather than the other way around. And so not only do we have to remember to open up our hands to what God asks of us in our roles, we have to also open up our minds to the ways that we stray from God's word. We, Paul tells us we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And I love the irony of these two words as I dug into the Greek this week about um, these, these two words. If I were to read living sacrifice to you at face value, just how it translated in English, it would sound like this. In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living killing. As a living killing. It doesn't make any sense. But why is Paul using this language? Well, let's look at it, okay? First, let's talk about what it means to be a living. A living sacrifice. This would have been a challenge to the entire religious system in Paul's day, both Jew and Gentile. I've already mentioned that these people would have been steeped in sacrificial language. And they would have known that there is no such thing as a living sacrifice. That doesn't make any sense. That goes against the whole sacrificial system because a, the whole point of a sacrifice is that it dies. In the Israelite logic, the sacrifice goes like this. Israel could not do enough good things to pay for their sins. They rebelled against God, and so they needed a way to be right in God's eyes. And so what, what happened was they would take an animal, and that animal would act as a substitute. Israel would live, the animal would die. And that was how it worked. 
But now we don't have sacrifices in the same way. Why? Because we have Jesus. Jesus is our substitute, the ultimate sacrifice, and he satisfies the righteousness of God. He is our substitute. So we don't have to die. We live through Christ. But often, and sadly, in our roles, we actually still try to earn our way of being a good person before God. We think to ourselves, I have to be a good son. To be a good person, I have to, I have to be a good son. I have to fill that role and be, be good. Or, or to be a good mom, I have to be a good mom. I have to do all the research. I have to find the perfect diet for my children. I can't give them any sugar before they're six years old. How is that supposed to work? But, but how is that? If, if we base our roles on being a good person, not only is it going to be impossible for us to live up to that standard, we're going to fail it at some point, but also, if we let our roles become our identity, our source of who we are, we flip it again. And then instead of us offering ourselves to our children, our children are actually serving our need of being a good person. We're using them. We do this to our roles, and we try to base our identity off of them. But remember, we are a living sacrifice. We don't have to die, and we don't have to kill ourselves trying. Christ did that for us. And so we can base our identity off of Christ. That's the hat we need to put on. Alistair Stern warns us about this. He says it is sinful. It's actually sinful to make good things like our roles as a parent, employee, musician, friend, into ultimate things, things that we build our lives on. If we do this, he says, they will drive us and enslave us. If our acceptance doesn't come through Christ, it'll come through something else. And whatever that something else is, whatever your source of identity is, will drive you to the ground. Put on Christ. Use your mind. Think about the ways that we stray. We are to be a living, breathing testimony to the reality that, that we aren't justified we aren't we aren't basing our identity on our roles but on what christ thinks of us we are accepted we are loved we are cherished we are beloved not in what we do but because of whose we are remember when we looked at identity second though is we are to be a living killing which means we have to kill certain things in our lives Having a healthy relationship with roles means we have to make sacrifices. We have to cut some things off. More than that, we have to give up the idea, we have to kill the idea that we have a right to live as we choose. There is a hierarchy in the kingdom to the roles that we play. And the Christian life is, it calls us to pay attention to what those are in our lives. There, for example, there, there are certain roles in your life right now that should be higher up on the pecking order than others, right? Uh, using my life as an example, it would be foolish and sinful for me to think of my role as a road cyclist to be more important than my role as pastor for this congregation. 
It would be foolish for me to think that way. It would be destructive also, though, if I saw my role as a pastor of this congregation before and ahead of my role as a husband or a father, right? There is a depth chart to your roles, too. How do we discern this? Well, we look through the scriptures. We read about what the kingdom of God is like. What are the values of the kingdom? And as our lives, you know, we've been talking about who God's made us to be over the past number of weeks. As we grow in this, as we discern through reading scripture, through prayer, through our community around us, we will learn more about the hierarchy of roles in our lives and about what the Spirit is doing in us. It's not, there is not a, this is the A, B, C, D of roles in your life based on the scriptures. Rather, we have the Spirit that helps us discern in our specific season what roles are important and what ones should be lower down. There's, there's a, there is a, um, there's a Holy Spirit element to this discernment as we do that in, in our own sort of personal time, but also with the community of saints that is around us. We have to open our mind that our lives are a living sacrifice. Our roles often act as magnifying glasses to seeing the brokenness that's in our heart the ways that we stray away from God's word, what we, how we use roles to serve ourselves. And so how do we break free from this? How can we build our lives more on uh, the identity that we have as children of God? Well, Paul tells us we have to do it in view of God's mercy. That is what is ahead of all of these other aspects of these two verses. In view of God's mercy, offer. And in view does not simply mean to look at. The Greek preposition dia is, is, a, is, a, uh, is, a, is a word that's often used to, to have like a, a movement to it. So we are to, t- we are to see through in view. It's an, it's an active thing. In view of God's mercy means applying God's mercies to everything in our lives all the time. And we need to, we need to learn and, and apply the gospel to all of our roles all the time. And what does the gospel tell us? Well, the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ came down. He left his role in heaven and took on ours as a sinner. Jesus didn't have to, right? Nobody was forcing him to become like us. Rather, he willingly became a sinner and took upon himself your brokenness. He is your substitute. Remember, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus on the cross. It was something else. It was his love for you. He willingly did that. That's how deep and how wide God's love for us is. This means that because Jesus offered himself as a dying sacrifice, that you can each day offer yourself as a living one. You can stop feeding that inner performer and rest that Christ has set you free 
Find your identity in Christ and your roles will stop defining you. Dip your, dip your hand in that baptismal font and remember the promises of God. You are loved, cherished, uh, more than you could ever imagine. But also look at the commitment of your Savior. Do you think it was enjoyable for Christ to go to the cross? To wear your sin? To have those nails pierce his hands? Not at all. Look at the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prayed and was stressed so much that he, he, was, he was in agony at the very thought of going to the cross. But what did he do? He submitted himself to the will of God and said, Not my will, but yours be done. His commitment to his role as your substitute is why you can be right in the eyes of God. And so looking at Christ, applying the gospel, means we can commit ourselves to the rules in our life that are hard, that ask of us to sacrifice. Because we don't do it on our own. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, of the resurrected Lord, who committed himself to us in our brokenness. And not only that, but congregation, Jesus shows us that the path of the cross, the path that looks like a dead end, that looks like a career killer, that looks like a sacrifice that leads to nothing good is the way to resurrection. It is upside down. It flips everything. And so we can commit, as Christians, we can commit ourselves to the roles that God has placed us in, in our lives in such a profound way because we know what comes out the other side. What's guaranteed for us is resurrection. So how does this work in real life? Perhaps you're living with an unfulfilled role, a dream, something you want so deeply. Jesus tells us that it is good to ask for things. It's good to dream. And it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be very sad about the things that we wish were true in our lives. But we can live in this space and not question God's commitment or love for us because we can look at the cross. And we can say with, with you know, certainty, but it's hard sometimes. We can say, we can look, we can, we can say that I don't know why this role is unfulfilled in my life right now. I don't know why this prayer is unanswered in my life right now, but it can't be because God doesn't love me. It can't be because God isn't out for my good, because I look at the cross and I see that that is where God's love comes to life. At the same time, maybe you're living with a lost role, or perhaps grief that's still raw, You've lost a role of father, mother, or sister, an employee, or friend. I think Alistair Stern in the book helpfully gives us counsel on this when he says, our roles, in the end, we must grieve the lost role. We must grieve the lost role, but we hold on to the hope that the role, as important as it's been, is not everything. God will use other avenues of grace in our lives. To continue working out his redemptive purpose in us and through us. As C.S. Lewis says, you know, everything sad will eventually come 
untrue and it will somehow be better for it. Remember the cross that seemed to be a dead end and ended up being a vehicle for redemption. Redemption of all things. Now, brothers and sisters, this is the essence of the meal that's in front of us. Jesus calls us to partake in this meal and to eat and drink the gospel. He plays host to all of us in our roles, fulfilled, unfulfilled, lost, found, trapped, disoriented, whatever, to come and to be fed, to be nourished in his body and blood, to to find our identity around the table as his beloved family. All of those who trust in him are welcome. All of those who are sorry for their ways that we stray away from God's word are welcome. The table is a place where he offers us grace and he builds us up. Where we put on the role of redeemed, of loved, accepted child of the Most High. And we eat and drink with joy knowing that there will come a day when our roles will not be a struggle. When we will live in perfect harmony with who God's made us to be and how we offer ourselves to the world. And until that time comes, we proclaim with our mouths, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Let's pray. Father, you know our struggle. You know how hard it is to stay committed to roles. You know how hard it is to find our identity not in who we are, but in whose we are. As we put on hats throughout our days, throughout our lives, as we offer ourselves to each other, to the world through Christ, give us your spirit. Help us to apply the gospel to each and every role in our lives, each and every day of our lives. Lord, we want want to worship you with our whole lives, and so we pray that you would build us up, that you would help us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.